After the Sabbath, Matthew 28, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord had came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. An angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. We pray, God, that as we look at your word today, I pray that it would come alive and it would speak to our hearts and our minds. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning, I got a text when I woke up this morning. It was from a friend of mine, and he had in all capitals, He is risen. Now, I was thinking about that. That's what we celebrate on Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all around the world, literally all around the world today, people are celebrating that Jesus, he's not in a tomb that he's risen from the dead and that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Now on Easter Sunday, it's kind of good and it's exciting to think of that he's alive. It's an incredible thing. But you know, sometimes before you get to Easter, before you get there, there's a week ahead of getting to Easter. And before the resurrection, before the ascension, And the beautiful thing is, is after Easter, what's the next major thing that's coming? Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church calendar. That's the next major thing that's that's coming is, is Pentecost. And so today, I want us to take a look back at this week. And maybe you've had a challenging week, but in this week in history, I want to share with you some of the things that happened from last Sunday till this Sunday in history. You may say, well, Pastor, we had a busy week this week. Pastor Joe's probably tired from going to youth convention and the kids participating in fine arts. Last week was Resurrection Roundup. The holidays are here. Some of you are waiting just to, when service is over, you're meeting mom and grandmom and relatives for Easter dinner. and Or maybe your kids are coming over and you're going to have a time together. You may say, what a busy week. Well, in Jesus' week, on last Sunday was a day of what, we, what is known as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. People were laying down palm branches in their garments as Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. People were praising him, and they were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. On Monday, Jesus walks into the temple, and he sees what has become of the temple. He sees what man has done to the house of God and how defiled it has become. What it's really become is it's become a bazaar where people are, what they would do is when people would bring their lamb or they would bring their sacrifice, 
There would be people who would be out there and they'd say, well, no, this isn't good enough. And they'd take their lamb and they'd say, now, we got another lamb here. Here's one that we can sell you. This is fit to offer. And so they would sell them, obviously, at a marked up price. They would sell them another sacrifice. Then they'd put that lamb in the back and a couple people later, whenever they brought their lamb, they would say, no, this lamb isn't good enough. And they would bring out the lamb that they just bought from that other guy and, and they would sell it. And what they had done is they had taken advantage of people and the money changers were doing everything out in the courts of the Gentiles. They were carrying on business so that the Gentiles could not even draw near to God because all of this stuff was happening around them. And Jesus walks in and he takes the money changers tables and he overturns them and he says my house shall be called a house of prayer then he heals the blind and the lame he also sees the fig tree on monday and he goes to it and when it has no figs on it when it does not bear fruit jesus curses it and it withers up tuesday jesus is back in the temple and he's talking with the religious leaders and they begin to question his authority And you'll notice this, that Jesus' sharpest rebuke is to the religious people who rely upon their own righteousness to get them to God. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, on the outside you appear righteous, but on the inside you are full of dead man's bones and hypocrisy, wickedness. Also at the temple, Jesus teaches through parables concerning the end of the age. He was then anointed in the evening in Bethany by a woman with very expensive perfume. Remember, she breaks that perfume and pours it out on him. On Wednesday, the plot against Jesus is planned. On Wednesday, Judas agrees to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. On Thursday, Jesus celebrates the Lord's Supper with his disciples And he predicts that Peter will deny him. He then goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples fall asleep. As Jesus agonizes in prayer, Judas betrays him with a kiss as he leads a band of men to Jesus to arrest him. And remember on Thursday, Peter cuts off the servant's ear and Jesus heals him. Early Friday morning, Jesus is arrested. Then the religious trial before Annas and before Caiaphas, the denial by Peter, the condemnation by the Sanhedrin, the death of Judas, Judas goes out and later hangs himself, the civil trial before Pilate, the trial before Herod, who then sends him once again back to Pilate, the mockery of the guards after which he is beaten and led away to be crucified, the procession to Golgotha, and finally the crucifixion. Satan must have rejoiced as he watched the suffering of Christ. It began in the garden as he began to pray. Under great stress, the small capillaries in the sweat glands can break and mix blood with sweat. And the Bible says that Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Have you ever had those weeks whenever stress is like all over you? You ever have those weeks that you're just like, honey, I don't know if I can make it another day. The times when your brain feels kind of like it's going to pop out. 
of so much pressure and so many things going on and so much weight upon you. And my friend, Jesus understood that. He bore the weight of the world, the weight of the sin, the understanding. In a few hours, he was going to carry the weight of the sin of the world upon himself. In a few hours, he who knew no sin would become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In a few moments, he who had never had anything separate him from the Father would know the utter desperation of separation from God. And under this stress, he sweat drops of blood. Next, his disciples abandon him and Judas betrays him. He was brought before Caiaphas. He was blindfolded. He was spit upon. He was slapped in the face. He's then taken across Jerusalem to Pilate. Barabbas is released. And when he asked the people, who do you want? Listen to me. The same people as he looked over Jerusalem that he wept over. Remember his words, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Because he understood that the coming destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, he knew what was just down the road for them. And as he wept over them, the people who would follow him and he healed their children. And he opened the eyes of the blind. And yet the crowds, when they said, who do you want? The religious leaders stirred up a small segment of society and they said, give us Barabbas. And what about this Jesus? Let his blood be upon our hands. Can you imagine the betrayal that he experienced that day? Jesus is flogged and he's handed over to be crucified. A flogging of that time could literally kill someone. The beatings that they were given, a person could literally die from the extreme abuse their body took. If not at that time, you know, during the flogging, because of the infections and all of the damage that was done to them, they could easily die later. What would happen is a man would be bent over a short wooden handle with leather strips, with pieces of metal, with pieces of bone tied to the end of it. A man would stand on each side And when they would hit him, the skin would be torn away so that the arteries and the veins and the bones, even the inner organs were exposed. Then Jesus is mocked by the Roman soldiers. Remember they called him, you're the king of the Jews. A scarlet robe is placed on his shoulder, a stick in his hand, and a crown of thorns is placed upon his head. He was struck in the face, his beard was plucked, A wooden beam is tied to his shoulders. He's forced to carry the cross till Golgotha. And under the weight of that cross, a sheer exhaustion causes him to fall under its weight. And Simon of Cyrene is called to carry the cross. At Golgotha, Jesus is nailed to the cross beam with iron spikes through his wrist. Next, he is lifted by ropes or ladders and the cross beam is secured in place. His feet are stretched out and nails are driven through them. Hanging on the cross, he looks like a pathetic spectacle. He's covered with blood, covered with wounds. He's exhausted, muscle cramps, pain of the wounds. He has pain in his chest and his lungs begin to fill with fluid. And this fluid begins to compress around his heart. Intense thirst and the ridicule of those who stood by add to it the fact that he was forsaken by the Father. 
Friend, on the cross, God declared your value. God declared my value upon the cross that day. He declared once and for all what you are worth. Now, the world will tell you that you're worth a little bit more or a little bit less based upon how you look, upon how you're doing that week, upon the things that you accomplish or you achieve. But God established your value once and for all. God said that your value, the price of your redemption, the price of your life was the life of his son. Many people feel that they're of little value, that they're worthless. They sell themselves short. But friend, we need to understand what God paid for us. And what God is willing to pay for men and women around the world, those who others have forgotten about and those who others have overlooked, God says they are worth the life of my son. They're worth the suffering of my son. My friend, that should change the way that you and I view other people and that we view ourselves. It should change the way that we live when we understand the value that God places upon human life. At this point... In the week, when we come to this place in the story, Satan must have been rejoicing. He must have been happy to see Christ suffering. I think this sometimes. On our day-to-day lives and in our lives, there's those times whenever Resurrection Sunday comes. There's times whenever we see God break through in our lives. But oftentimes, we're living in the week before Resurrection. We're living in the times when there's difficulties and when there's trials and whenever you're doing the right things, but things aren't working out. When your sons and daughters are going the wrong way and when all the plans that you had that you thought, this is how God's going to work in my life, just fall apart. You're like, well, God, if you're working with me, why is this happening? If God is for us, if God is with us, why is this going on? In Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 54, it says this. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are any of you in a place where you feel like God has forsaken you? Any of you wondering where God is? Are any of you in a place that the circumstances of your life cause you to doubt the love of God and the grace of God in your life? When some of them standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. And many women who were there watching from a distance, they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for him. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. 
what Satan thought was going to be his ultimate victory actually set himself up for his ultimate defeat. Can you imagine how the demons in hell, how Satan and his cohorts and all the fallen angels must have rejoiced when they saw Jesus being abused? Can you imagine how much they must have rejoiced when they saw, look, Judas has betrayed him. One of his own has turned on him. Look at him. Look at him praying to the Father. Look at him praying. Look at the sweats and the drops of blood that's falling off of his face. Look at the anguish he's in. Can you imagine how Satan must have rejoiced whenever the disciples who were supposed to be there to hold up his hands, instead of holding up his hands, fell asleep? And when the crowds of people who earlier, the majority of the people who were saying, all those who saw him were saying, there's Jesus. He was the talk of the town. And now they've stirred up the segment who has turned against him. Jesus, who had not defended himself. Can you imagine how Satan must have relished the fact? Here's Jesus, and he's not saying anything back. He didn't defend himself because he was bearing the punishment for mankind's sin. And at this moment, whenever he said it was finished... The work of redemption was accomplished. When he said, it's finished, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said it was done, the work of redemption, the price for your sin and for mine was paid that day. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is Richie theology. I believe that the moment he breathed his last breath, that at that moment he entered into Satan's territory. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says when he ascended on high, he took captive and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly region? 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 16 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let me share with you Richie doctrine. Satan and his demons were celebrating as Jesus was betrayed, as he was spit upon, as he was beaten, as he was hanging upon the cross. As he's taking all the abuse without fighting back. As they heard him yell out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then through the corridors of hell, whenever he breathes his last breath, they hear the footsteps Not of a defeated man, but a victorious warrior coming to collect his spoil. Friend, on Sunday, the grave could not contain our victorious Savior any longer. You see, because he accomplished all that he needed to be done. That's why when the woman went to the tomb, they were greeted by an angel who said, Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. 
You see, you go ahead and see the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And now, my friend, Jesus is alive. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells and lives inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the grave could no longer contain him, then I assure you of this, that the grave will not be able to contain you one day. That even though death may come and you may be buried and many people forgotten about, the grave will not be able to contain you. And friend, I want you to hear this as well. Sin and its dominion. The Bible says that sin will no longer have dominion over you. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so just as Satan celebrated and rejoiced over the death of Jesus and it turned into his ultimate demise, there's going to be a day when we're going to see it come to full fruition whenever Jesus comes again. And the Bible says he's going to split those eastern skies. And he's going to call those who have put their faith and their trust in him, he's going to call them to himself. He's going to rescue his church. And then he's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And he's going to defeat the enemy and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. My friends, I want you to hear this today. It might be a hard week. You might be having a hard week. I don't think that Sunday through Sunday was that great of a week. I mean, it sounds pretty cool. It had its ups and downs, didn't it? Does anyone here's life have an ups and downs? You have those times in which you're, you're on top of the mountain, and the next minute you feel like the mountain's on top of you. Jesus experienced that. If he experienced that, if he experienced those trials and difficulties, and if he overcame, then you and I are going to experience those trials and difficulties as well. But I give you this assurance. He's no longer in a tomb. He's no longer in a tomb. You can't find him there. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says this, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Where is he at? He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for me and for you. And what is he asking? Lord, that you would make us one. Father, give them the grace. Let them trust in me. Let them trust in what I've done to bring them through. This Easter, you and I have a reason to celebrate. What is that reason that we have to celebrate? The reason that we have to celebrate is that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. And he's already won the victory. He's already accomplished the work. As we close today, I want to say a prayer for you. And this is my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you will be able to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love that God has for you. He's displayed that upon the cross. My second prayer for you is that you will be able to understand the ultimate victory that Jesus won and what that means in our daily lives. That means that the same power that could not keep him in the grave, the grave could not hold him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of us. So you know what that means? That means that the trials that you and I face, they're not going to be able to defeat us. That means the temptations that we experience, we got the victory over those. Father God, I thank you today for Easter, and I thank you that we have the opportunity to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
As we celebrate Easter today, I ask you, Father, that you would speak to the hearts of men and of women in this house. And I pray that you would remind us of the incredible love that God has for us. I pray, God, that you'd remind us of the worth, the price tag that you place upon us. Many people say insignificant, and they'll they'll place all kinds of price tags on themselves of being of little value. The world at times wants to steal away our dignity or wants to steal away what you want to accomplish in our lives. But I thank you that you place an incredible price tag upon our heads. You say that we are worth the life of your son. And Lord, I pray that as Jesus was risen from the dead and the grave could not hold him. I pray, Father, that we too, because that same spirit lives and dwells inside of us, that we too would overcome Every trial, every temptation, every situation and circumstance that comes our way because the spirit of the risen Lord dwells within us and because you live, we can live also. Lord, go with us this day, just like you told the women there to go and tell his disciples that Jesus is not here, he has risen. I pray that we would go and tell those whom we know that he is not here, he has risen. Be glorified in our hearts and our lives today, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. We pray that you have a great Easter.